The title of our message today as we make our way from James 3 into verses 13 through 18 is this. Today we're going to be discerning wisdom from above and below. Discerning wisdom from above and below. And what I always like to do to kind of prime our hearts and our minds to receive the truth of the word today is to give you something to think about. So here's what I want you to think about this morning as we get ready to read this passage. What is your single greatest motive for the decisions you make in your daily life? Okay. What is your single greatest motive for the decisions that you make in your daily life? Here's how this works. Okay. Let's play. What if we said school's back in session, right? So let's play. What if let's say I went to Metter high school and I was roaming the hallways the way I used to when I was a long-term substitute. And I see a student walking down the hallways excited. And I stop and say, why are you so happy? And the student says, I just got an A on this test. And I say, okay, well, why does that make you happy? And the student said, well, I, I need to get into a good college, and this is key. Well, why do you need to get into a good college? Because I want to be a doctor someday, and i got to get a, a bachelor's, and i got to uh, do postgraduate work, and i got to get good grades to get into the right schools. Well, why do you want to be a doctor? Because when I was sick, I received help, and I just, I really want to help people. Then you ask another foundational question. Well, why do you want to help people? If, if I looked at your life and I kept peeling back layer after layer after layer about the motives of why you do what you do, you're eventually going to come to the foundational bottom and you're gonna, your answer is either going to be, I do it for the glory of God or I do it for the glory of self. And that's what we're going to be looking at here today because the glory of God is this wisdom that we receive that comes from above where we deny ourselves and we exalt God. And then there's this wisdom from below, this wisdom from the world that says, make God small and let's make ourselves big. Okay, before we get into the word, it's not that we shouldn't celebrate when we get an A. And it's not that we shouldn't celebrate great careers that God has called us to. But the question is, what is the primary motive for why you do what you do? James is going to answer that question here as we turn to chapter 3. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to James 3. Again, we'll be in verses 13 through 18. If you do not have a Bible, okay, you can take the Pew Bible in front of you. It's in page 1201 of your Pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, we're in James chapter 3, and we will be in verses 13 through 18. Hear God's word. Starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you and praise you for this day that you have made. made. Father, let us rejoice, let us be glad in it, and let us... Allow it to lead us into a greater worship of you. Father, we acknowledge according to your word today that there are two types of wisdom. Wisdom that comes down from above, wisdom that comes directly from your gracious hand. 
and then wisdom from the world that takes the focus off of you and places it on ourselves. Father, every one of us in this room, myself included, is so guilty of this from time to time. It's a part of that sinful nature that we're trying to put to death. So, Father, I pray that you help us to walk through this in in spirit and in truth. Father, help us to, to look at the truth of your word and be changed by it, that we may respond in repentance and faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. So we're called and and our lives are an example of the receiving and the using of wisdom. Every one of us pursues it in some shape, form, or fashion. The question is, where's the wisdom coming from and how's the conduct of your life showing what type of wisdom you really have? So as we look at this passage, there's three things about the wisdom from above that I want to point to here today. And the first of those three is this. Number one, let's look at the calling for wisdom from above. Verse 13. Okay, verse 13 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, I've been saying week after week after week, James is the most practical book in the New Testament. Even young children and young Christians, when they read James, they don't scratch their heads. It's not like Leviticus. It's not like some of those Old Testament books that are really hard to understand. You can read James and at face value, understand what God's trying to tell you. And in this particular passage, we're once again shown by James through the Holy Spirit that if we're Christians, we're going to show it in our conduct. In fact, one, one author says that James is the show-me book. If you think about all the passages that we've looked through, he says this, if you think you're religious, show me by your speech. If you think you have faith, show me by your works. If you think you have wisdom, show me by your conduct. Conduct is really, really important. When I say the word conduct, I want us to think it's not the what, but the how. All right. Sometimes as Christians, we're so focused on what God's called us to do, but God is, is equally as concerned about how you do something as opposed to just doing it. And even further than that, why you do something. Again, go back to the example of the student. It's great that the student got an A. That student's using these intellectual abilities that God has given him or her to get a good grade, to do the very best they can as a student in the classroom. I know there are teachers and administrative people in this room who would love to have students who are that excited about getting good grades. That's a good thing. But God is equally as concerned with how you conduct yourself in the pursuit of that and then why you're doing it to begin with. God cares about the how, he cares about the what, and he cares about the why. And our conduct, the how, how we carry ourselves, the reason why we do what we do, all right, this conduct is going to reveal to us the root of the wisdom that we have. And James says that wisdom is going to come either from God above or it's going to come from the world below. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about gossip and we said how it's so impossible to, to tame the tongue, right? And we said the reason why is the tongue is the dipstick to the soul. The tongue will reveal to you what's already in there. And the, out of the tongue comes words of praise because our hearts have been changed if we're believers. But out of our tongue also comes words of gossip because God still has some work to do in there, right? We're still sinful. We still struggle. We have a sinful nature that we've been redeemed from, that we've been forgiven from, but we're still putting it to death. We're still putting it to death. And so when we think about these types of wisdom, 
that, that we're showing in our conduct. Again, wisdom from above, wisdom from below. That's the, kind of the theme that we're going to look at here this morning. What's wisdom from above? Well, in a simple sentence, it's humble, God-centered truth straight from heaven. Humble, God-centered truth straight from heaven. Wisdom from below is arrogant, self-centered falsehood from the world. Okay, arrogant, self-centered falsehood from the world. And if you had to take this idea of wisdom from above and you had to sum it in one word, James does it for us, and that word is meekness. Meekness. Now, here's something I thought about as I was preparing this message. In our men's Bible study on Thursday mornings this past spring, we went through uh, stepping up a call to courageous manhood, and we allowed the Word of God and certain messengers of God to challenge us as uh, men of God to, to, to be stronger men in our faith, in our households, and in our church. And one of the things that one of the speakers talked about that really stuck with me is when you think of the fruit of the Spirit, it doesn't really sound manly. When you think of man, you think of the Marlboro man. You think somebody with a five o'clock shadow riding into town on a horse that doesn't flinch in the eye of pain, you know? But that's not the idea of a man according to the Scriptures, all right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, and all that summed up even to one word here, meekness. When you think of man, do you think meek? Well, let me define it so we can understand. Meek does not mean weak, all right? Meek means gentle. Meek means intentionally selfless and gentle and considerate of other people. A meek person rejects their own exaltation, exalts God, and cares deeply for those whom God loves. And I give you two examples in the past year of my life of men who I would say are meek. The first one I'll think of, uh, Brother Larry, at your mother's funeral, Eddie Potts came to preach. Most of you in this room have, have probably met Brother Eddie at one point. Uh, he, he's, he's up there in age. I'm not sure if he's in his, his late 80s at this point. He's been preaching God's word faithfully and working in public education for a very long time. And yet he walks into this church and treats me with more respect and more love than I deserve. He willingly sets aside years and years and years of faithful ministry where he could be pulling me aside and teaching me. And instead, he, he kept calling me sir and he kept saying thank you. And I mean, he was so meek. It spoke to me when I was in his presence of, Bo, this is what ministry is. You put your self-pride down to the ground, and you, and, and you treat others more important than you treat yourself. And then, I, you know, this week, and I don't want to embarrass him, all right, but I had a chance to meet with a brother this week who I would say is one of the patriarchs of this church and who is an embodiment of meekness, and that's Bill Collins. All right, a man who's been teaching and preaching God's word all through the Sunday school classes of this church probably longer than I've been walking on this planet. And yet I come into his home and he greets me with love and he talks to me with amazing respect and it says to me, when I walk with Jesus, that's the way I should sound. That's the way I should look. Meekness. That's the embodiment. That's the trait of wisdom that comes from above. How do we get that type of meekness? You can't, you can't will it. You can't just say a certain prayer or do a certain thing, and all of a sudden, it comes to you in one shot. It's a lifelong walk with the Lord. But there are tangible things that you can and that you have to do if you want to receive this type of meekness. And I believe there's four. And when I study the Scriptures, I think there's four ways. Okay, let me start with the first one. A, I would say reverence, meaning fearing God. 
fearing God. Think about how many times in the Scriptures the Bible says that the fear of God is the beginning of that wisdom. All right, if you're a note taker, I'm going to run through this quickly, so just listen for chapter and verse, okay? I'll give you four really fast, and they all say almost the exact same thing, and it's amazing they're written by different authors, all right? Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Job 28, 28, behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding. So we see wisdom, fear, understanding together. Two completely different verses by two completely different authors, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now listen to two Proverbs. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And listen to this last one. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Let me say this. I believe that... The fear of God is the key that ignites the engine of wisdom from above. You can have a Ferrari sitting in your driveway, but if you don't have the key to start the engine, it's useless. If you don't have the key, nothing else will work. That key starts with fearing God. And for those who are younger, understand what fear is and what it's not. It doesn't mean that we're so scared to death of God that we never draw near Him in prayer, that we never draw near Him asking for His help. It means that we draw to Him patiently, understanding who we're dealing with. He's not our buddy, okay? He's not uh, our co-pilot. He's the pilot, and we are the co-pilot. we got to switch seats. we got to have a reverent awe and mag- for his majesty and his power and his beauty that he's the creator of all things heaven and earth and yes if you've been redeemed by the blood of jesus christ you're called a child of god and you should be able to sit on his lap and wrap your arms around him and share the depths of your heart but like a good father and most of you in this room in the older generation who had fathers who were more of the disciplinarian we know a good father is to be loved but also feared Because a good father is also a disciplinarian, and when we don't do what he's called us to do, we know discipline's coming, right? All right, I think today in 2017, we've made it out to be a good father as someone who never disciplines. But we know we've all been around children that received all love and no discipline, and they are what we talk about at the end of this passage, people who are disorderly because the world's become all about them. But when we fear God, we know it's all about our Creator, amen? Not only do we uh, seek that reverence, but also conversion, being saved by Jesus, but then abiding in Jesus. You know, if you look in the New Testament, Paul says over 160 times the terms in Christ. And this is my burden for our denomination as Southern Baptists. We are so passionate for evangelism, and we should be, right? We should be going out and sharing the gospel, but we want to get people saved by the blood of the, of the Son and the power of the Spirit. We want to preach the gospel. We want to see people get saved. We want to see them come into church, but then we kind of leave them there and we go after the next amount of sheep. But here's the key. Paul says that you're supposed to live your life in Christ. All right? My life passage is John 15, 5, where, where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, it is he who bears much fruit. For apart from me, you could do nothing. If you're a Christian, you don't pray a prayer, receive the Lord, have your heart changed, and then go back to living the life you were living before you were a Christian. You begin walking in a journey with Jesus Christ and you lean into him. You serve him. 
You seek his forgiveness. You imitate his goodness. His, your life now becomes a reflection of his life. You are in Jesus Christ. Not only that, after we have a reverence for God, we've been converted as Christians, there's two other things, and this is obvious, Scripture and prayer. Okay, let me start with Scripture. All right, when we read the Bible, we receive truth from God's written word so that we can be a manifestation of His incarnate word, Jesus Christ. We can be a reflection of Christ by reading the word of Christ. All right, in my devotional this past week, I was reading Psalm 138, verse 2. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. His name we fear, his word we read and we obey. And then for those in Awana, right, we're going to start Awana Wednesday nights. We have a pledge of allegiance to the Bible, right? And when we pledge our allegiance to the Bible, one of those words come right out of Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know what that is? Wisdom from above. We cannot have that wisdom if we're not reading His Word. And then finally, prayer. If you remember a few weeks ago in James chapter 1, verse 5, what did James say? He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. If you know that you're living a life that doesn't have wisdom from above, you feel like God's a million miles away from you, you don't know what you're doing to live the Christian life, and you're struggling, well, after you fear God and you've given your life to Christ, and you're reading the Bible, if you don't understand what you're reading, and you're in church, and you're desperately wanting to learn more, the best way to seek wisdom is just keep asking God. Keep asking Him. I mean, isn't that what Solomon asked when he was named king as a teenager? You know, his, 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 you know David was this mighty war, you know, warrior king, and then David passes away, and Solomon, all of a sudden, he's, he doesn't know what to do, and he's, he's in the middle of this dream, and God comes to him and says, I'll give you anything you want, and he says, I just want wisdom. Just give me wisdom to, to govern the people of Israel who are like the sands on the seashore. I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to govern these people. God was so honored by that prayer. God said to Solomon, since you've been so unselfish in asking for wisdom, I'm also going to give you riches and honor in, 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 along with the wisdom. And the Bible says that apart from Jesus Christ, Solomon was the wisest man who ever roamed the face of the earth. And it all started with him asking God for wisdom. I ask God for wisdom all the time. You know, when, when I first, I've shared this, when I first bought a Bible uh, 10 or 11 years ago, and I remember reading it when I was living in that little one-bedroom apartment in Statesboro before I moved to Metter, I just remember, you know, I read Genesis and Exodus, and I was really getting into the whole story. Again, Leviticus was a brick wall for me. I got halfway through it, and I thought, what in the world is this? These blood laws and all these sacrificial systems, and it made no sense to me. But you know what? I just said, God, would you help me to understand this? I think you want me to, right? Your spirit's in me, and you've put this word before me. I think you want me to understand this. Now, it's taken 10 years and a lot of theological training for me to get a better understanding of Leviticus. And I say this to say, you don't have to go to a seminary to understand the Bible, you do have to be patient and you have to keep asking God, give me wisdom and he'll give it to you. Some of the wisest men I've ever met and women too have never darkened the doors of a seminary. They just have God-given wisdom reading his word. That's wisdom from above. And these four things that I mentioned, all right, reverence, conversion, scripture, and prayer, they make God big and they make us small. And that's, and that's the perspective that we need to be having. Now, 
That's the calling of wisdom from above. Number two, let us look at the counterfeit to wisdom from above. Verses 14 through 16. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. We all know what counterfeit is, right? You ever go to Bilo or Walmart and you hand them a $50 or $100 bill, what's the first thing they do? They take a marker out and they mark the bill to make sure it doesn't, it doesn't do a certain thing because counterfeit money will react differently to that mark. So we all know what counterfeit is. Counterfeit is something that falsely is made to try to be a representation of what is real. All right, so a counterfeit $50 bill is, is made to look like a real $50 bill, but those who know what a $50 bill looks like and smells and feels, if you get close enough to it, you can tell it's not the real thing. Well, it's the same thing with the wisdom from below. All right, we talked about this wisdom from above. It makes us humble. It makes us meek. It makes us exalt God. It makes us deny ourselves. And then you have this wisdom from below, and this wisdom from below sounds and looks like wisdom from above, but what it does is it makes us exalt ourselves and it makes us make God smaller than he should be. And this is, oh my goodness, this is part of the original sin, is it not? The first sin that was ever committed, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, God provided all their needs. He said, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but not that one over there. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what did Satan do? Satan says, God knows if you eat of that tree, you're going to be like him, having all of his wisdom. And what did did Adam and Eve decide to do? Adam and Eve said, I don't want to worship God in his kingdom. I want to be my own God and start my own kingdom. And they ate the fruit, and our world has been chaotic ever since. And in America, which again I still believe is the greatest country on the planet, in 2017 we wrestle with this every single day. Gosh, if you want to know how we wrestle, just spend 10 minutes on your newsfeed and Facebook. The world, the world is screaming, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And the Bible's saying, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him, look at him. And, and I get 30 minutes every week, sometimes 35. And I, and I plead with you, don't go that direction. And when you feel yourself going in that direction, repent and refocus Because none of us are immune to it, myself included. Every single time I I stand out there and for 20 minutes people shake my hand and tell me what a great job I did, I fight the battle of it's not about me, it's not about you, Bo. He can remove you from that pulpit at any time. There's a million men who could stand behind the pulpit and preach better than you. You just stand and you do God's work. And I'm not saying, by the way, we should not enjoy our work. Okay? In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing better than a man to enjoy his work. But we enjoy it because we know God's called us to it. And we're thankful. And we live out of a thankful heart. That's the difference. That's the difference. Well, this manifestation for wisdom from below, James says in this, in, uh, in this passage that there's two ways that this manifests itself in the world. We can see it and know it if it does one of these two things. Bitter jealousy or selfish ambition. All right, bitter jealousy. Again, something else that Facebook manifests pretty bad. You see something that somebody else has and says, why don't I have this? 
Why is my family not this happy? Why, are, why is my job not this enjoyable? Why don't I drive this type of Chevy Z71 extended cab off-road? <laughs> why don't I have fill-in-the-blank? Okay? Bitter jealousy that we're not content with what God has given us. And so we scratch and we claw and we'll see in future weeks in the book of James, we'll do whatever it takes in our selfish desires and our bitter jealousy to have what we want. And the wisdom from below, guess what the wisdom from below says? Guess what the world says? It's a dog-eat-dog world. Name it and claim it. Go after it and get it. Do whatever you got to do. Get up earlier, stay up later, get whatever you got because you deserve it. The Bible says no. The lot that you have in life is what God has given you, and he will bless hard work. But be grateful and content with what you have today, and God may be more willing to give you more tomorrow. This is where, in the second part, let me just say selfish ambition. It's good to have a drive and a motivation to excel in the business that God's placed you in. Don't hear me, don't hear me wrong, okay? Again, what's the motive? Do you want the, the accolades and the praise and the financial blessing and you want to be the one that is recognized or are you just saying, God, you put me here, you gave me the, the gifting, you've equipped me to do this job, then from when I wake up to when I go to sleep, let me do this job the very best I can for your glory and then for my joy that you've allowed me to do this. You know, there's, I recently for uh, my birthday received this canvas painting of Vince Lombardi. And Vince Lombardi talked about there's nothing greater in this world than a man who's exhausted himself for a good cause and lays on the field of battle victorious. I look at that and I say, great commission. From when I get up to when I go to sleep, the studying of the word, the praying to God, doing God's work, that when I go to bed, I'm exhausted because I laid myself out as a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. I think it's good to work as hard as you possibly can and to enjoy that you gave God your very best. But the day that I begin to think, let's do that so that I could get a bigger church, so that I could look like a good pastor, the day I do that, please remove me from this desk. Because it's not about me. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about him. I, I just wrestle with this so much, and I see it all the time on social media. If you ever walk into a Christian bookstore, or even Books a Million, and you go to the Christian section, and I say in quotes, Christian section, you will see so many books written by these television preachers who are best-selling authors, and you know right away, almost in the title of the book, if it's wisdom from above or wisdom from below. If the book it was written to exalt your love for God, that's wisdom from above. But if the book is written to help you love yourself more, that's wisdom from below. The world's going to say, the problem with your life is you don't love yourself enough. And if you look at the first sin in the garden, that was not Adam and Eve's problem. I think they loved themselves just fine. In fact, I think I loved, they loved themselves too much because they went above and beyond God's calling. Now, again, listen, let's not go to the other extreme. God's not saying that you should hate yourself. My goodness. God loves you, and God expects you to care for yourself and be grateful for all that God has given you. It's not that you hate yourself. It's that your own image of yourself no longer matters because you're lost in an ocean of God's beauty and goodness. As John the Baptist said, you decrease and he increases. Your life is no longer about you. 
It's about Him working through you. And there's joy in that. There is great joy in that. But we need to know the difference. And by the way, where does this counterfeit wisdom come from? Well, in this passage, it says that it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let me boil that down in a phrase that we use as Christians a lot. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's your three-headed monster. When you get out of bed and you put your foot on the floor, you've already got a three-headed monster attacking you before you even get into the shower. The world, okay? The world's a system that suppresses God, exalts man, and says, get after it today. When I think of the world, I have an image in my head. You know what I picture? The floor of the New York Stock Exchange after the bell rings. People pushing and shoving, diving out of each other's way to get another note to the trader. I mean, it's just, it's just dog eat dog. I don't care who I trample on. I don't care what I do. I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to do what I have to do to exalt myself. And that's how I picture the world. All right? The flesh. Okay? This is our nature. You are born with a nature to focus on yourself. I know this because I have a soon-to-be nine-month-old. When Ren is tired or hungry or uncomfortable in any way, she's very happy to share that with me. All right? And all of you understand this who have children or grandchildren. We're born into this nature. We say, I'm not happy. Do what you have to do. Stop what you're doing and make me happy. We're all born into that. The problem is, when you don't come to Jesus Christ, you have that same nature as a 40 or 50-year-old, and that's where we have what the Bible says in this passage, disorderness and vileness. Okay? The last part, the devil. Okay? He's the enemy of God, and he's the enemy of your soul. And he'll do whatever he has to do to cause disorder. Gosh, I've been a pastor now for exactly one year, and I'm telling you what, I've seen him try already at this church. It's exhausting. But I know it's a prayers to God that changes things, to ask for that hedge of protection that we all need. So real quickly, number three, the character of wisdom from above. I'm just going to run through this real quickly. Verses 17 through 18, James says, This wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I wish I could spend a whole month talking about each one of these things. It's like the fruits of the Spirit. They match one another. But I'll do it in 30 seconds. How about that? Pure. Your intentions have no evil or selfish gain. You purely live for the goodness of others and the glory of God. Peaceable. You desire to bring peace to a world of conflict. Gentle. You are mild in your embrace of others. Open to reason. You don't start a conversation assuming you have the final answer. Full of mercy. You're willing to forgive quickly. Good fruits. You do the things that reflect God to the rest of the world. Impartial, you don't show any favoritism. Sincere, you genuinely care about God and about other people. That is the character of wisdom from above. So how do we sum all this up as we draw to a close? I would say it in one sentence, I'd say this. The more aware we are of our sin and the daily need for God's grace, the more our hearts will be open to receiving wisdom from above. God gives grace to the humble. He turns his back on the arrogant. The closer we get to God, I'll close with this mental illustration. The closer that we get to God, the more that we realize our sin. I remember calling my pastor last year in North Carolina, right when I first was called to pastor here. And I said, I said, Steve, 
I've been wrestling with things I've never wrestled with before. I'm so aware of, of, of how sinful I am. It's frustrating. It's really frustrating. And he kind of laughed on the other line. He said, Bo, the closer you get to God and the more radiant his light is, the more it will shine into the darkest places of your life. The more it will show the nastiest cobwebs that have been collecting year after year after year that God wants to clean out. The closer you get to God, the more humble that you will be because you realize how far you fall short of His glory and His holy standard. So what's a takeaway? Well, this is, this is obvious, and I know you, you probably know it's my heart because we do it every week at this church, but commit to daily repentance of sin in your life, and God will fill your heart with wisdom from above that is humble towards Him and others. Stay close to Him. Repentance is the way to do that. Don't let sin get in the way of you and him because when sin builds up and you don't keep a short list with God, soon you know you're not living right and you begin to to just drift away from church, drift away from other Christians who are living right. You don't want to be in their presence. You want to ignore them and just live the way you want to live. And all of a sudden, your relationship between you and God has spanned hundreds of miles because the sin has gotten in the way. Stay close to God. Be honest and repent and know that God loves you. And according to what we preach every week in 1 John 1, He wants to restore you if you would only seek His forgiveness. Having said that, we're going to enter into a time of invitation. And if you want more wisdom from above, if God is dealing with your heart, come. Come and pray. The altars are open. You can pray in privacy. I'd be happy to pray with you if that's something you desire. And if you, if you know in your heart that you don't have this wisdom from above because you're not in Christ, because you don't know Jesus, you may have heard his name. You may have asked him a long time ago to be your Lord and Savior, but he's got no place in your heart. Repent and believe and place your faith in the one who did for you what you could not do for yourself. Let us pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. And Father, we acknowledge that we're constantly in conflict between this wisdom from above and this wisdom from below, Father. We're attacked every day, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Father, right now, right now, I pray a hedge of protection around this church and the families represented in this church. Protect us, Father. Let your Holy Spirit abide in this room and in the hearts of those in this room. Father, just come and dwell with us. Come and be with us. Let us receive and respond to the wisdom from above and let us reject and run away from the wisdom from below. Let our lives be all about you and not about us. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.